0: And I'm going to stand over on this side today because the light is very bright on that side. (laughs) And that's the only reason. Let's open with a word of prayer. And we are celebrating. Heavenly Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus that we get to be here. And we are celebrating our earthly dads. But Lord, you are the father that has exemplified what it means to be a good earthly dad. And so Lord, I just take time to honor you and say thank you for creating us, for being our Father, for giving us life, for guiding us, instructing us, teaching us. Lord, may you be blessed for for investing in us and creating us in your image. And so, God, I just ask that we would take time today not just to honor our earthly dads, which are so vital as well, but that we would remember that we are but a reflection of our Heavenly Father and that we would bring you praise, honor, and glory. Lord, we just pray that as I share, that these would be the words you want shared. And Lord, if there are things that are not supposed to be shared, may I not remember them or they wouldn't just fall on deaf ears and the important things would get through. And Lord, if we are hurting, if our dad's relationship uh, with our fathers is not not healthy, if it's not healthy with you or with our earthly father, Lord, but today would be a day of healing that we would make right the wrongs, that we would be humble if it's in our case, or forgiving if it's on the other side. and Lord, we just ask that we would make right today. So Lord, go before us, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, do you guys want a joke? (laughs) I feel like you've got enough jokes today, but I can't help myself, so you get another one. A father and a son are talking, and the son has just got his driver's permit. He's starting to drive, and he asks his dad, he said, what do I got to do to get the keys to the car so I can start driving now with my permit? And the father looks at his son, and his son had uh, been a pretty good boy, but he's like, okay, we'll come up with a few guidelines. What we're looking for is you're going to need a haircut. Your hair's too shaggy. It's not looking good. You're going to need a haircut. We're going to uh, have you uh, pick up your grades. You better have a B-plus average on all your classes. And I want you to be coming to church and studying your Bible and coming to fellowship with us. No complaints, just enjoy it with us. And you could complete those three things, and I think we could probably work something out for the car. So the boy, uh, uh, a few weeks later, go by, and he comes to his father, and he says, uh, Father, how am I doing on our agreement?" And his dad says, well, your grades have come up, you got the B plus average, and uh, you've been coming to church, no problems, you've been engaging and talking and asking questions. I even saw you in your room reading your Bible the other day, and it was wonderful. And he said, but you still need to get a haircut. And the son said, well, actually, it's funny you mention that, because while I was reading my Bible, uh, I noticed several characters actually had long hair. Samson had long hair, Moses probably had long hair. It's insinuated that Jesus had long hair as well. And uh, and so I just am taking an example from them. And the father looks at the son and says, well, did you notice anything else in common you have with those individuals in the Bible? He said, what do you mean? And he said, well, they all walked everywhere too so that's my father-son joke for the day um there is a real problem in today's culture that requires fathers if we look at today's culture we would see that fathers are critical to influencing The next generation, we would see the fathers are instrumental in developing a healthy family. We see in a time like now, that culture wants to change what the family looks like, how the role of the father is. And right now, in this decaying culture, it is no more important than to have an inspired father that is serving God with their whole heart. So the problem is critical. When we look at today, We need strong, godly fathers. So today, it's supposed to be an encouragement, but I want to put a challenge to the dads that are here or watching online. This is the biggest decision you will ever make in your life, is who you will serve and who you will represent and what role you will act in the family. Is it God's given role or is it your own devised or the world's devised role? See, you have a choice, and I'm going to put forward before you your choice. You have free will. God designed us and created us with this beautiful gift of free will that he is not forcing you to do anything. He has given you the creativity and the consciousness to make your decisions. And from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when Adam and Eve decided to eat from the fruit, sin entered the world, and it says that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, when they broke that, uh, that command that God had given them, they were deciding or taking the knowledge of good and evil and deciding for themselves what was right and what was wrong. And God has given us this free will to use as we choose. It's free. And so one of the things we can do with our free will is make these choices. But did you ever stop to think that you can make the choices, but you cannot choose the consequences? of those choices. You make the choices, but the consequences and the outcomes of those choices are not what you control anymore. You get the initial choice. And so today we're going to take a look at an individual in the Bible. His name is Joshua. You guys know Joshua? You've heard of it? It's actually the name Yeshua, which is where we get also the name Jesus in the New Testament, Yeshua. Yeshua. His name would have been closer to Joshua in pronunciation. And so this character, Joshua, is in the Bible, and he is about to enter into the Promised Land with a nation of Israel behind him. He is leading Israel through the desert. They've been in the desert for 40 years, wandering around. By the way, that's not a very big desert. It's actually not that large. So that means for 40 years, they were basically doing circles. And Joshua is leading them right to the boundary line of uh, entering into what God had promised them as a land that they would inherit. And do you know what the boundary line was? What the main landmark was? It was a river, a famous river. The Jordan, the Jordan River. And so they're at the Jordan River or they're just about to enter and they're looking over the promised land and Joshua is making a declaration to everyone that is with him. And we're going to take a look and read that declaration. Now, I didn't have an NASB Bible. I forgot mine at home. So I have to read it from my phone, but it will also be up on the screen. We're going to read Joshua chapter 24 in only two verses, verses 14 to 15. So the scene is set. Joshua is in front of the congregation, millions of people. And he's making this declaration before they enter into the promised land. Do you know why they wandered for 40 years? sin. They had actually had the opportunity 40 years earlier to enter into the same land, but they had decided, based off of the information that they got from the 12 spies that went in, that it was too dangerous. It was too scary. They'd get crushed by the giants, and they decided, we're not going to go in. And God said, we need to wait till the generation that is too scared to go in has passed, And so they wait 40 years in the desert, and he says this next generation will have a chance to go in and wholeheartedly serve God in the promised land. And so here's Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. When you see capital L-O-R-T, that's Yahweh's name right there. Now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served before the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua makes a very bold declaration of what it means to enter into a a, a promise with God. He makes this declaration. In fact... Uh, The first time I ever heard this scripture, my mom, so we had a staircase that you walked in the front door, and then as you walked in, it had a a curled staircase that went up to the, uh, the second story, and along that wall was all these pictures of scriptures, and the one right at the bottom of the stairs on the plaque, it would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I used to think about that, and that actually became a very important scripture in my life growing up, thinking about what does it mean to be a godly father or a godly man to make this decision for your household, who you are responsible for, to serve Yahweh. And this is the most important and biggest decision any father can make for their family. So they had left Egypt. They're just about to go in. And now that when they uh, met with the spies originally, there was a demanding of their compromise, of their fear. They were, the, the circumstance had demanded a compromise of the promise to enter into the land. And Joshua was only one of two spies in the initial intel to say, no, we could do it. We can enter this land. And so once again, he's there standing saying... Well, we're going to do this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, God has an exclusivity clause in following him. We were talking a few weeks ago, or probably months ago now, when I was sharing on idols. An idol is anything that has influence in your life that is influencing over the word or the will of God. And when that happens, that has taken the place of an idol, the role of God in your life, by causing you to base your decisions off of that circumstance rather than the word or will of God. And that's an idol. How many of us allow the news to influence the way we act and the way we should present ourselves rather than the will or word of God? Or maybe what TV or music is saying, or you read a podcast, or you watched a, uh, a, 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 an interview, or a blog, or a podcast. Your job, your coworkers, your friends—all these can be idols in your life that need to be removed as the main influence, and God needs to be set as number one. He has an exclusivity clause in following Him. What commandment was that? Do you guys remember? Shall I have no other gods before me? Number two, do not create an idol. So we're going to look at today, Joshua's personal decision to follow God and what that looks like. So the first thing Joshua does is as he addresses Israel, he says, As for me, in other words, it's his personal declaration. And fathers, this is your choice. Are you going to make the declaration? Because it cannot be made for you. I can't declare for Brother Norm or anyone or Carl. I can't say you will serve God. We just talked about the free choice and the free will you have. It cannot be made for you. It is a personal declaration. I'm going to share a little bit about my baptism story. I shared that I grew up in a Christian home. We had I had, praise God, I hope my dad's watching. He was an amazing father. And I'm very thankful for that. And he taught me, basically anything that I'm sharing with you guys probably came through some stream or some uh, influence that my father or my mother had in my life and teaching me scripture and relationship with God. But here's something that they didn't force on me. I had the choice, and as we all do, to make a public declaration of baptism. And I was raised in the church my whole life, and I was a teenager, and I kind of was this assumed pressure that the elders of the, the elder son, my dad was an elder, usually serving in the church in some royal role, would get baptized. But I had never made that declaration. And I always kind of had in the back of my mind, you know, oh, I'll do that later, or I, you know, I'm still kind of interested in playing sports mostly, or I'm kind of interested in I was mountain biking, or whatever it was at the time. And I never put it as a, as, on the forefront. It wasn't until I hit hardship and my, lo- my world was crashing down around me that I went to God. God healed and restored me. And I was like, God, I need to make that public dec- declaration. I think I was about 20. How old would I have been, Carly? What year was that? She shrugged. 23. And what I did is I, I came home and I said, Dad, can you baptize me next week in the river just across the street? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And so we made a few phone calls, let some people, I'm done with the world, that this was going to be my public declaration of I'm done with the world and the enticements and the fun and all the good things that I thought was bringing me pleasure that I was enjoying like sports, not that I was cutting them off from my life, but they were no longer going to be the idols in my life. They were no longer going to take the main influencing role in my life. It was going to be God. And I made this public declaration in baptism, and boy, was it cold. This river, I think I did it in September, uh, and I'm from Canada, for those of you that don't know, way up in the mountains of Canada in a town called Prince George, and the river was ice. And so I tell you what, if you're not serious about a public declaration, don't do it in an ice river. But it's a personal decision. My parents could not have made that decision for me growing up. They had to instruct, guide, put in frameworks that would build me up to be a good, godly man, but it came down to me, whether I wanted to or not. And that is the decision before you men today. Are you going to make or have you made a personal declaration as for me? It's a tough decision. Don't be an octopus. Octopus love to camouflage. They don't have any bones. And as you make a personal decision, one of the things about the world is it wants to squish you And you are going to need to be rugged to withstand. As you make this personal declaration, don't be an octopus with no bones and no structure or camouflage and hide. Have you ever watched an octopus shoot along the bottom and then when they land, it blends right into the coral and the rock? God is asking us to make more than just floating through life. We, it's going to need structural integrity. It's going to require you to stand out a little bit. So number two that Joshua does is he takes responsibility for his family. He says, as for me and my house. See, God holds fathers, the role of the father, responsible for the family. This is not because women are not critical or crucial. They are hundred percent they are. But it is the role of the father that God holds responsible in leadership. It's a matter of role. See, and we see this when we look at stories like Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned and ate the fruit, the woman gave, ate first and gave to Adam. But when God comes to the garden, who does he call? He calls Adam. Because Adam is responsible for his family. He was there. When God, uh, or when uh, we read in the New Testament and we, uh, the, the, uh, Paul is talking, he says, In Adam all died. Who takes the responsibility? The father, the man. See, God holds the fathers responsible for the role that he has entrusted them with to be the leaders. It's broken. If it's not working right, the man is the one that is responsible to set in motion the systems that will correct And make it right. That is your role and your responsibility. Joshua took it well. He said, as for me and my house, I will take leadership and ownership over the spiritual direction of our household. Now, this is a question for men. You don't have to answer out loud because it it hurts me too sometimes to think about the role. But it says, I was going to ask, are you initiating your family's spiritual growth, growth as the man? In other words, are you the one, as the father figure that is setting the course, plotting the, plan, the, the map for your family spiritual direction, are you the one that opens the Bible and encourages the family to spend time in the Word? Are you the one that wants to pray when it comes time to pray, or do you usually delegate or negotiate that to somebody else? Do you exemplify the fellowship that when your kids and your family and your friends look at you, do they see healthy and godly fellowship? Do you have Christian friends that they look at and they can see, well, God, God is working not just in my dad's life, but I can see it in his friends. Are you instructive in your discipline as a father or are you just a disciplinarian? Is it more about the discipline or is it more about the equipping of your child to, yeah, sometimes we need to discipline, but are you, is the goal the discipline to help them to grow out of it or just the discipline in and of itself? You are responsible as the father for your family's spiritual growth and direction, and when you plot the course, the family follows. One of the things that Daniel always talks about is when you set a course, if you were to set a course for Tahiti from Hawaii, but you were one degree off from Hawaii, would you ever even hit Tahiti? Or would you be, by the time you got there, you'd be so far off course that you would sail right past the islands? You set the spiritual course. One of the things that Joshua did as well is he gathers community. He's standing and he's addressing the Israel as a congregation, as an assembly. And, he, and he's encouraging them as he gathers the community around him to uh, to make this change. Sorry, I had my notes backward. I skipped number three. That's okay. We'll go with number four, and we can come back to three if we need to. <laughs> gathers community. There's a story of a pygmy uh, 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 who's a native, and he's standing over the body of a dead rhino and... The man comes along, and he sees the pygmy with his club standing over the body of the dead rhino, and he says, did you kill that rhino? And the pygmy says, yeah, yeah. And he says, how did you kill that rhino? It's a ginormous beast. You're so small, and all you had was a club. And he said, well, I used my club. And the man's just shocked, and he says, well, how big was that club? And he said, well, there's about 40 or 50 of us. And so (laughs) gathering community is what is required to take down the rhinos of our lives. See, there are major issues in this world. How many of you could name off some major issues right now? How many of you are happy with our government? Fully satisfied? How many of you are fully happy with the way our news or our media is presented to us? How many of you are happy with the way... Uh, Racism and this divide of uh, cultural groups is being thrust at us. There's major problems that are engaging with us as believers, and it requires a full body and a strong group of believers to engage and to counter these things. It takes a community to take down the rhino. As you stand immovable in love and righteousness and justice, Those around you will see that you have made a firm stand and nothing that the world does, the situation may change, you may drop into poverty, your health may fail, it doesn't matter. That you stand with God and people will gather to that. As you make a, 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 they call it a banner. The banner in the battle, when they would come, they would see that the banner was still up. And you would keep fighting because you would know where the battle and the war and everything is going. It would be your gathering place. And, it caught, and men need to gather community of other godly men to be able to have any influence or tackle these major problems. Or we can be passive and let them happen to us. And, we will, and unfortunately, in much of my case, a lot of the time, it's just, oh, this is dumb or easy to complain. When really it takes organization and unity of believing brothers to come together to make a difference and bring down these rhinos get together with men who serve god do you know that uh paul one of the uh major authors of our new testament right you may have heard of him he sounds like a pretty holy fellow He's a guy that uh, is encountering angels on the lo- on the road, a bright light. He talks with God. He's he- there's healings, there's miracles, all this wonderful things, and you would think that this super spiritual man named Paul would never need anything but God, and the, and he would be ministered to by angels. But actually, in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul is talking, and in other cha- books as well, he talks about how. I looked and longed for your visit that you would encourage me. He was talking to Titus. He said that I may be encouraged just to have you with me. If this is a man that is healing, seeing God, and he still is encouraged and requires the fellowship of other men and believers, I need it more than he does. And so do we. So get together with men who serve God. It's not, it's not that you're insufficient. It's that these problems take groups. The other, I'm going to skip back now to my number three, which was go public. Joshua is speaking to the assembly and, uh, and he gives them the choice. He says, if this is displeasurable to you, you don't have to. You can serve the gods of others, but you make a public declaration. With or without anyone else, I will be doing this. I will be serving God wholeheartedly. Paul puts it this way. I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to anyone who believes. And so one of these things is that when you make a declaration to, be, to follow God's way, it should not align with the world. If you find that you are saying you are following God and everyone else seems to be going and the whole world seems to be going in the same direction, there's no opposition, no, no opposing force, odds are you're going the wrong direction. You're not going God's way. See, you will face opposition, but you need to stand firm and you need to make this public declaration that people will see who God is in you. Number five. This is not in that section of Scripture, but it's referencing the idea of Joshua developing the nation of Israel over those 40 years so that the next generation would enter into the promised land and they would have dealt with the issues in their heart that was from Egypt and from that generation. And so we need to, as men, develop the next godly generation. What's more important in this life that you could ever do? Is it your accomplishments? Climb Mount Everest, become a CEO. Are they selfish accomplishments that are the most important? Or is it something that can be carried into a further generation that is good for others? It's basically self versus others. See, there's nothing more important you can do as a father than equip and develop the next generation. How many of you have heard lately, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to bring them up into such a screwed up world? Has anyone heard that before? Seeing some head nods? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Oh, I can't have kids right now. I don't want my kids to grow up in this world. It's so dark, it's so twisted. The world needs your kids to be godly representatives for the next generation. He needs you to develop the next generation so it doesn't end with you. All your personal accomplishments will mean nothing after you're gone. But the information and the teaching and the wisdom and the discipline that you pass on to your kids or those that you mentor or overtop, that is what will last and that is what will be carried on. Have kids. The world is so messed up that it needs your kids. you need to exemplify to your kids what the father's heart looks like. The father is the first figure that a toddler, and here's my daughter right here, (laughs) comes running in. The first example she will ever see of our heavenly father is through this lens. She's not able to understand a concept at the age of two what a heavenly father or her creator is. But what does she start to understand? Dada, right? She has exemplified what her heavenly father should look, acts and his character and his personality through the way I engage with her. You need to exemplify the humbleness. You need to seek justice, that your kids see that you don't become a pushover for things that are wrong, that you seek and stand for justice. Are you patient? How often is God patient with us when we blow it? If you got smacked in the wrist every time you did something wrong by God, my hand would be gone. Are we patient with our kids? Do we see that we are patient with them? Are we generous? Do we live in healthy fellowship with other believers? Do they see the heart of the Father? What was he doing before creation? What was God doing before creation? This is an interesting question. He was living in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. This fellowship, he lives in fellowship. And then there was creation. And what is our ultimate goal? To be in fellowship with for the Father again. And so this healthy fellowship needs to be exemplified to our kids that you are not just a lone wolf. Yes, it's important that you are strong and independent and stand for what is right, even if nobody else will but that you have a community of men and believers around you that also live in healthy fellowship and relationship to God. What about undivided attention? How many times do our kids get our full attention? This is ones on me. Oftentimes, right? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, what was that? Okay, okay. We'll do that in a little bit tomorrow. Right? We very, very rarely give anyone our undivided attention, not to mention our kids, not to mention those that you mentor or speak into their lives. What do the kids experience of what their heavenly father is like when they see that with you? That God doesn't have time for me. If my earthly father doesn't have time for my problems, why would the creator of the universe be invested in me? Do we take our attention and fully focus it on those that are bringing up the next gen- or our next generation? It's not often, and that's for, that's for me too. Mentorship, I wanted to make a little note on this that just because you might not be a biological father, like Patty was sharing, you can mentor, be that uncle, be the adopted or the stepfather into a family. This isn't just about developing the next generation of just your kids. It's about being a mentor to those that are growing up, even if they're not yours. And so if you don't have kids of your own, look at maybe somebody or find something that you can be developing to pass on to the next generation, because all of our accomplishments, your selfish ones, they're not going to be there tomorrow after you pass away. But when you pass away, that individual that you poured into that now carries that discipline and principles of following God at their core will pass that on. Hopefully, if you did it right, they'll know the importance. And so mentorship, maybe not even fathership, but that you play that father role in a a kid's life. God gives us a strong warning. We talked about this a while ago in the Ten Commandments. He said, do not take... My name in vain. Do not take Yahweh's name in vain. And we talked about this. Yes, it can mean swearing or uh, making it so common that it becomes nothing, but the word is actually carry. Do not carry or take upon yourself my name and make it empty or nothing. There are a lot of people out there claiming to be Christians that when people look at the the Christian community, they're like, yeah, but that guy's... A little, a little weird, a little wacko, or actually he's really mean, or, you know, he doesn't always tell the truth, or sometimes he's not that reliable. When you carry God's name, you need to exemplify his full character. That's one of the Ten Commandments is that you carry his name, that when people say Stephen and they say, oh, do you go to church? I'm a follower of Jesus. They will therefore associate Jesus with Stephen. And if that's not a healthy association, you're doing detriment to God's reputation and character that he does not deserve. And that's why God says, do not take it lightly to be my follower or to carry my name or to put it upon yourself and to walk around advertising, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. Don't take the name and make it empty or vain. There are a lot of choices out there. How many of you guys have seen Indiana Jones? Have you guys seen uh, the, La- uh, the Last Crusade? It's one of my favorites. Indiana Jones and his father are going to find the Holy Grail. And on their way, they go through all these problems, and, and eventually they're at the room outside of the Holy Grail, and the, uh, the Nazi, uh, I think it was a Nazi, I forget, shoots Indiana Jones' father and he's about to die, and Indiana Jones has to go in and get past the tests and choose the Holy Grail so that he can bring it back to his father so his father can recover from the gunshot wound because the Holy Grail is believed to be the fountain of youth or to give you life. And so Indiana Jones gets his way, way into the room, and they're finally in this room, and it's filled with all these cups and chalices. Some of them are beautiful, huge. Some are gold and short. Some look like crystal and glass and diamonds and rubies and everything studded about them. And the Nazis that are there with Indiana Jones, they take one of the most beautiful cups and they say, this must be it. How could our Savior, the Messiah, be anything but worthy of the best cup? And they dip it in and they drink and within a few seconds they melt their faces melt off. <laughs> if you've seen it, there's quite a special effect. Watch the special features into what made, went to making that. <laughs> um, I just watched it the other day. This is, um, But Indiana Jones, he doesn't take the most beautiful chalice or the scepter. Because he knows he takes the wooden cup with a little golden inlay on it. Because he knows that Jesus was a carpenter and Jesus wasn't about being the exalted king in that sense, but he was a humble king that came in to serve. And so he goes with the wooden cup and they live. He's able to bring it back out to his father, Sean Connery. And uh, I think they poured on the bullet wound in his father. Yeah, he chose wisely. Yeah. Because one day you will stand before your creator without excuse and everything laid bare. And God is going to ask you when you looked at all the options of your choices that you could choose, were you enticed by what was beautiful or catchy to the eye? What what you assumed should be the truth? Or did you go off of God's truth? Did you make the right choice? Will you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when you face to face with your Creator? Because everything else, all our excuses, all our reasons, it's going to feel like nothingness. It's going to all melt away. And all I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. So if you don't feel like that's for you today, this is what the Bible says. It says repent. It says turn from your wicked ways. Repent is uh, a word that you might hear thrown around, but real in simplicity, it means you're going this way. And when you repent, it means you turn and you're going the other way. You turn from what is wrong and turn to the truth. And so today, if this isn't feeling like, oh man, I haven't made that declaration, all you need to do is turn away from your choices and turn to God. It says that today is the day of salvation. Amen. There is no de- point in the future that you can already make your decision in the future for yourself. The only decisions you can make are right now. You cannot make a decision in the future. You might make your mind up that in the future when it comes, you will make that decision, but you can't physically make that decision in the future. You can only control this moment today. And so when I say repent, I'm not saying you have to all of a sudden have everything in alignment. You don't have to have your Bible study down, your prayer down, the fellowship down, but it's simply an understanding of the way I am heading, the decisions I'm making, the choices of what kind of man I am are going the wrong way. And I'm going to turn to you, God, and I'm going to trust, just by turning initially, that the rest of it will work out. That, that the prayer will develop. The Bible study will develop. The fellowship will come alongside. There's an example of a teacher and his students and this teacher is known for never being wrong everything he says to his students always turns out to be right they always try and give him riddles or trick questions and he always gives the right answer this is an old example so you'll see why in a second but his students finally get frustrated with the teacher and they say we're going to come up with a way of giving him a question that he has to get wrong so they get a bird and they hold the bird, the little bird, in their hand, and they decide they're going to go to the teacher and ask the teacher, is the bird alive or dead in my hand? And they were going, this was how desperate they were to get the teacher caught up, was if the teacher says it's alive, they would crush the bird and then open their hand to say, no, see, it's dead. And if he said it was dead, they would just open their hand and let the bird go free. So no matter what the teacher answered, The students could say he was wrong. And so they go to the teacher and they have the bird and they're holding the bird out and they say to the teacher, is the bird alive or dead? And the teacher looks at them and looks at the hand and inquisitively studies and he realizes what's happening. And he says to the students, he says, the answer is that life and death are in your hand. It is your choice To whether there is life or death in your hand and so i put before you the decision today that this is the most important decision you'll ever make male female doesn't matter we play different roles but our focus is the same we focus on jesus we focus on our god our creator and we live in righteousness and today before you in your hand Lies life and death. And if you haven't made that commitment to be the spiritual, godly father to your kids, to mentor those, or just to stand as a man in righteousness in your community and in your work, take the moment today to pray and to repent and turn from it and turn to God. I'm going to invite up the worship team for a closing song, and we're going to just uh, close. In a word of prayer. And I want you guys, uh, if you want, you can pray along with me. I'll have a moment for you to reflect with yourself, but if you want to pray along, you can. Heavenly Father, today I choose for me and for my house to serve you. I will do my best to represent you, my Heavenly Father, in my character, in the way I interact with others the way I interact with my children, the way I mentor those that are under me. And Father, I just ask that, give me the humility to admit my mistakes, where I'm wrong, that I would make right. And Lord, if there are things that I have done to actively hurt in the past, that you would give me the humbleness to admit that that was wrong and to go to them and make right. Lord, if there are things in our lives that we need to cut out that are hurting us, that are poisoning us, Lord, that you would help us to remove that like a surgeon, that you would cut that out of our lives. Father, if there are things we are actively pursuing or allowing to influence our lives, these idols, the news, the government, the media, the health pandemic, if that is what is our main influence, Lord, help us to repent or turn from those idols, and focus solely on you. Lord, if there are things in our own lives that you want to speak to us, take this moment now, that as we're quiet before you, that you would speak into our life the things that you need us to know. Father, thank you for the example of Joshua that made a public declaration, gathered a community about him, was not ashamed of the gospel, but stood for you. And Lord, I just ask that you would all impart on those that want to commit to you a bit of that Joshua spirit, that we would be strong and courageous, and we would declare for us and for our families that we will serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.